concerned with Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it Or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears With a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's back with money with Gabby Dunn Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn And this is Bad With Money I want everyone listening to know my big secret. Uh, No, it's not money-related. We've gone through all of those. Uh, Okay. So it turns out that I might be a little softy romantic, which is a little little romantic. Um, I don't like to talk about it, and I don't like to do big gestures. Like if anyone proposed to me on a Jumbotron, I would immediately know that they don't know me at all. Um, I just like the little stuff, right? Like the stuff that that money can't buy, you know, giving your time, being thoughtful, being honest. If we're talking about love languages, which you can look up the five love languages, mine is acts of service. So if I came home and someone had done the dishes for me, that would be so romantic to me. That is really what I find romantic. And my partner, Mal, is into grandeur and pageantry. Um, And I get that too, right? They like to make moments seem special. But for different people, there are different, quote unquote, romantic experiences. And I think a lot of us are conditioned to believe that the most romantic experiences in life have to be bought. Thank you, advertising. Every kiss begins with K, etc. You can list all of them. There's a reason that Paris, gay Paris, fittingly, is the most in-demand travel destination in the world. Tourism and selling Love experiences are massive drivers for the French economy. And if you ever want to consider actually living in France, you got to be aware of that. It is a big tourism country. So here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to imagine what it might be like to live in France and what it might be like to date my partner in Paris, the city of love. But first, I'm going to call somebody in France and hear about what that life is really like and whether I can afford it. Okay. So I've been told that we're calling a dude in France, and my producer just gave me his name. And I have been reassured that it is not who I think it is, but wow, what a way to start the day. What a way to wake up to a heart attack. Um, And I'm in a weird mood now. But I do want to hear about living in France, so I'll power through. Hi, this is Chris. Hey, Chris, this is Gabby Dunn. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for doing this. Sure. Happy to do it. I had a minor heart attack when I saw your name on the call sheet because I have an ex-boyfriend named Chris (laughs) O'Brien. Yeah, I was very much like, he wouldn't come on the show. That would be, right? (laughs) Well, it's good that this is our City of Love episode. Um, So can you tell our listeners who you actually are and what you do? Sure. I'm uh, Chris O'Brien. I'm a journalist from the United States. I think you know this, but I'm actually living in Toulouse, France, in the southwest part of France. Mm -hmm. My background is mostly writing about technology. I was in Silicon Valley for 15 years uh, before moving here, but I also do a variety of other writing out here on travel, culture, and politics, so a range of things. Why Toulouse and not Paris? Well, that is my wife's doing. She is a sociologist and got a research post out here uh, in 2014, so we moved from, our home is actually in Oakland, California, so we moved from there with our two teenagers, 
uh, to Toulouse. Although our life has sort of taken a twist because she's now been hired full time in Paris oh. starting last year. So she has been commuting while we decide whether we're going to stay down here or relocate eventually. How far is the commute? It's uh, about four hours by train. Oh. So she she goes up for two or three days and stays up there and then comes back. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so you've probably spent some time there then. I've spent a fair bit of time from work and, you know, we go up now that she's working up there more regularly. We'll go up there for a week here and there while the kids are on vacation and she's working. So, yes, I'd say I've spent a fair bit of time up there. So I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to live somewhere like Paris or, or even France because I know it's a place where tourists sort of outnumber residents. So what what is that like in terms of tourism and how it's viewed? Well, it's pretty intense. And I think like a lot of cities that are kind of major tourist draws, is there's a certain uh, love-hate relationship there. I mean, in France in general, tourism... France in general is the most visited country uh, by tourists on the planet. It's pretty regularly number one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then within that, Paris, of course, is the main draw. Uh, And so there's that love-hate relationship and that the economy, they're the main drivers of the French economy and the Parisian economy. So they're needed. Uh, You desperately want them to come. And at the same time, you know, living there, you, you hear the complaints that you would expect. You know, you hear about people complaining about uh, neighborhoods being turned into Airbnb neighborhoods. You hear complaints about the use of uh, scooter sharing by tourists. And, and just in general, the hordes of tourists um, that descend on the city, especially during the summer. And you've probably read this story as well, but, you know, it's gotten to the point where they had to start limiting uh, visitors to the Louvre Museum, particularly uh, the Mona Lisa area, because the staff is just overwhelmed with people. They've had to limit the amount of uh, visitors to the Louvre? Yes. Wow. So it's it's that tension. I think this is true of a lot of tourist cities like that, where uh, you see it in Barcelona now, and you see it in, uh, I think, Iceland a little bit, that you, know, you, you need them, they drive you crazy, and it's a very, let's say, a tense relationship at the moment. How expensive is it to live in Paris, and then how expensive is it to live in Toulouse? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. So it's pretty expensive. I mean, Paris is pretty insane uh, for two reasons. I mean, one, the, the the cost of living just in general in a major city is high. Uh, housing costs, I, I don't have a figure handy, but they've escalated pretty quickly. Um, with, again, a lot of people buying, buying apartments to turn them into rentals. Mm-hmm. So the, the overall population of Paris has been shrinking a little bit over the last four or five years, I believe. Oh, in terms of like shrinking people who live there full time and becoming yes. more people who are visiting? Yes. Or, you know, as the case may be, empty apartments just waiting for someone to, uh, to rent them. So there's actually someone who started a site called, uh, I'll say it correctly in French, it's Paris, je te quitte, which means Paris, I quit you, I'm leaving you. <laughs> and it's a whole agency designed to help people in Paris who are dying to leave Paris to essentially to move to other parts of France, which for a Parisian basically feels like moving to another country. Because Paris is so its own entity. Yeah, I mean, it's a way to think about Paris for an American. I mean, if you imagine, you know, if you took 
Los Angeles, New York, Silicon Valley, and Washington and made it one city. Mm-hmm. That's that's Paris. You know, it's a city of it France is a very heavily centralized country. Uh more so than Germany or the UK in terms of the role that Paris plays. So anything you do, there's more opportunity financially and professionally in Paris. Mm-hmm. So people are naturally drawn there. At the same time, it's more stressful and it's more expensive. That's interesting, the idea of empty houses. Because we feel that in Los Angeles too, where the the I you know, the instinct would be, oh my God, well we have so many homeless people, like it seems horrifying that there are these very expensive like million dollar homes in Los Feliz that like nobody can afford but then there's like people on the street and that's like what it's reminding me of when you're describing Paris you know you were talking about asking about Toulouse as well I mean the apartment we're living in the city center of Toulouse Toulouse is the fourth largest city in France so it's not a tiny place it's much smaller than Paris but it's a city in the way that you know we would think of a city um, we're, we're living in an apartment in the historic city center that's twice the size of our house in Oakland. Oh, my God. For about half the rent. Oh, my God. Because nobody wants to live in Toulouse? No. It's, uh, in fact, Toulouse is one of the fastest growing cities in, uh, in France. It's um, the major employer here. It's the, the headquarters of Airbus. Um, mm. The European version of Boeing is here. It's very thriving. It's a young city. It's about 20% university students. Um, but it's, just, you know, you get outside Paris and the cost of living shrinks dramatically, which speaks to what if people want to leave Paris? Well, you know, if you can leave and make a similar salary, you know, it's like leaving the Bay area and moving to Kansas. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you, you immediately go from your tiny little apartment in Palo Alto to, you know, a five bedroom house in, you know, the suburb of Kansas city or something. Totally. Yeah, I look at real estate all the time. I live in Los Angeles and I look at houses in like Louisiana or whatever and I'm like, I've made terrible choices. Um, <laughs> what sort of, so you're talking about Airbus, but like what sort of jobs are available in Paris? I imagine it's it's a lot of tourism jobs. Oh, everything. I mean, you name it. I mean, literally any industry that you think of is, is, is in France is based there. I mean, of course, uh, if you look at their biggest employers, uh, it's finance, uh, banks like uh, uh, BPI and BNP Paribas, mm-hmm. uh, the luxury goods that everyone's I'm sure has heard of, like L'Oreal, LVMH, um, you know, a bunch of luxury brands like that. Uh, creative industries as well, the opera, museums, and then yes, I mean, tourism certainly is a very big, uh, big industry. But really, you know, anything. You can think of uh, mobility, insurance, anything. It's all it's it's a it's a diverse economy for sure. With again tourism being at the head of that. Is there a lot of economic inequality? I was just talking about that in L.A. But the idea that like some people there are super rich and then other people are homeless, basically. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's really like any other city in that respect. And there's there's two ways to think about that. Um, you know, struggle for France in general, and this is true again to some degree everywhere. But it's had a real challenge. Uh, I would say integrating a shifting demographic of immigrants. Um, in this case, people from Islamic Muslim countries, and they're out in Paris. You have the sort of famous banlieue, the 
what we would call projects or very sort of, you know, um, public housing type situations, big blocky concrete buildings, you know, filled with a lot of immigrants. You definitely see, I mean, Paris definitely has its share of, you know, dangerous neighborhoods, um, its share of inequality, and it's been a struggle for the country to, to deal with that. Aren't there better social services in, in France? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I could start with the healthcare system, which is like a dream. Uh, and it's a bizarre thing, you know, watching the healthcare debates in the U.S. And, and I won't go down that whole road, but, you know, I pay virtually nothing for healthcare here. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you're unemployed, uh, if you're poor, whatever your social economic status is, you have access to healthcare. There's nothing that's ever going to stop you from getting any kind of treatment that you need uh, from from the government. The social services are, yeah, I mean, as soon as we arrived here and signed up uh, officially in government systems, you know, we were getting uh, a few hundred dollars a month for just having two kids. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have kids or not, but Anyone who who does, especially in California, you know, the cost of things like camps mm-hmm. in the summer, daycare, you know, there's universal free daycare for kids starting from the age of six. Um, all these little ways, the state here is far more generous. When you first moved to France, were you kind of in tourist mode? Did you feel like you wanted to go see all that stuff? Did you do that? Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, I recently, just in terms of expanding the kind of writing I did, um, I, I've started doing more sort of travel writing and I was just going back and looking through photos, you know, I was taking 2014 when we first arrived and, you know, even though we didn't know which end was up and barely spoke any French, I was sort of amazed in going through these photos that I think every weekend we were going out and traveling somewhere. So one of the nice things about living in the Southwest, we're about, uh, an hour, hour and a half to the Mediterranean, uh, and then we're about an hour to the Pyrenees Mountains to the south. So we went up to the um, mountains for weekends. We went down to the beach for long weekends. Um, you know, up in the mountains, there's primitive cave paintings that you can take tours of. Uh, we did a foie gras um, <laughs> workshop to learn how to make foie gras. Um, wine tasting, of course, in the Gayak area. Uh, visiting the city of Albi, which is kind of a UNESCO World Heritage City. So, yeah, I mean, I was, <laughs> it's kind of mind-boggling to me that we managed to squeeze all this stuff in in the first uh, couple of frenzied months. Did you go see the Mona Lisa or go to the Eiffel Tower? Um, I did not see the Mona Lisa until last year, actually, because a lot of my initial visits to Paris were very business focused. So, you know, I was up there because I was speaking at a conference or I was at some kind of event and my agenda was either sort of chosen for me or um, mm-hmm. really kind of, you know, set in advance. So I went with my daughter just for the first time last year to see the Mona Lisa and it's crazy. You know, I mean, you go in to this room and there's about 500 people all holding up their smartphone, taking a selfie. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, and it's very uh, small, the painting. Right. The painting's tiny. I mean, it, it is what you've seen everywhere. Yeah. And then so your picture is you and 500 people taking, you know, a selfie. And it's just kind of like uh, comical. The Eiffel Tower is a must-do, of course. Um, the kind of sadder element to that is that with the, you know, the famous 
uh, attacks that have happened that I'm sure people are familiar with. Uh, you know, they they basically built a uh, security perimeter around the Eiffel Tower, so you can't just quite walk under it anymore, which we could do when we first moved here. You know, it's pretty long lines. You have to be pretty organized to get in and, and get up there. But it, it's a surprisingly amazing thing to actually see, even though you've seen it 10,000 times in movies and uh, photos and whatnot. Yeah, it's still got this air of, like, romance. We got to pause this interview real quick for a break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Are there tourist traps that are money wasters? Like when you visit Paris or France in general, are there ones that are just like, oh, man, this is going to this is a thing everyone thinks they have to do. But. It's a money suck. I don't, I don't think of it so much as a money suck. You know, I would say there are like when people ask me for advice about going uh, to see a museum. Of course, everybody thinks I'm going to go to the Louvre. The Louvre is is massive. I mean, you could take a week to see the Louvre, and to go in and see the Mona Lisa with you know thousands of other people. We prefer the Musée d'Orsay, the D'Orsay Museum. Yes, which is, I've been there. Sand. And, you know, it's a much more, you know, the, the impressionist. I mean, it's still that got that flavor of a very accessible, a little bit more modern stuff, but a much more kind of, you know, magnificent um, kind of, I don't know, a feel to it that a, a little less stressful, I think. And then there's, a, the, I would just say the opposite. I mean, one of my favorite things I've done, which is a totally touristy thing to do, a 100% touristy thing to do, was to take one of the tourist boats on the Seine River. Mm-hmm for an hour, which it, it's so touristy. I can't even, <laughs> I can't <laughs> even, I can't think of anything more touristy to do. And yet even after living in France, it was a very pleasant way to take an hour, you know, have a kind of goofy guy giving you a, a corny presentation of all the sites up and down a little bit of the French history. What's the one that's the modern art museum, the Pomp Pompadil or the Pompadou? Yeah. Pompadou. Yeah. I'm, I have not been to that one. I have been to the Picasso, the, the Picasso Museum. Yeah. I also highly recommend. I was very lucky. I, it had just opened when we moved here. I happened to be at an event in Paris where they were just about to reopen it to the public, and they, someone had a reception there, and it was really magnificent. I like that all your suggestions are like museums or learning the history. <laughs> <laughs> Go on the boat ride. Learn the history of France. Head over to a museum. People are like, where do you drink and hang out? You're like, no, no, museum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, my favorite area to go eating and drinking is probably, again, super touristy, but it's the Marai area, um, which is just kind of on the north side of the the Seine. But, you know, the thing about Paris is really, it, it is what I understand why it's so attractive to people. I mean, you really just, if you're staying in that city center you know, along one of the banks and you walk out your door, it is just splendor mm-hmm. in every direction. I mean, it's really breathtaking as many times as I've, I've been there. Uh, so I, you know, I understand that. And that's usually my best advice is like, get out, go for a walk, stop at a random place because it's probably pretty good. Yeah, I was trying to, I mean, part of this episode, this is going to come out on Valentine's Day and I was, uh, 
pitching my partner like a, a idea of like what we could do in France. And a lot of it, I realized I was like planning this quote unquote like fake date. And a lot of it was kind of free. You would think that Paris is so expensive, but then everything that I planned based on what I remembered from being there in 2012, I, all the things that I wanted to plan actually are just walking outside your door and walking around. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of the nice things about France in general is that there is this spirit of a public good and uh, public goods and sort of a uh, sense of more that things are that things are in common. And so, you know, things that are shared like public services are much less expensive, like the metro and the subways, the buses, but also public spaces. You know, uh, the idea that uh, in some of these cases that you have to pay or pay much at all would be shocking for many of these museums, for local residents. Uh, they're often free, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the the cost for tourists is not exorbitant compared to maybe someone some of the big ones in the U.S. Like if you're going to the Smithsonian or something, so you know, and certainly all those cathedrals, all these uh, public spaces are going to be almost free, if not completely free. Um, so obviously, a lot of people visit Paris, uh, but what does it take to like? Uh, to feel like you've really seen France and to also feel like, you know, you've settled in and you belong. To feel like you've settled in and belonged is a lifetime, really. Uh, and I don't mean that to make that daunting. I mean, you, if you see it as sort of an adventure and a journey, um, you know, the French are kind of famously, uh, they have a lot of rules and they have a very profound sense of what it means to be French. Um and so it takes you really a lifetime to to fully integrate into that. Um, just as a small example, like, again, I've been learning French just for five years. You know, the French famously love to correct your French to hmm. your face. You know, the small, even my best friends here, you know, they're constantly correcting my grammar at little faults. And they mean it in a very loving, positive way. You're trying to learn French, and so you want to be perfect. But you are constantly having your unfrenchness or your lack of Frenchness sort of pointed out to you. And so that's the manners, the social cues. But on a sort of broader sense, you know, they talk about this, um, the France profonde, the the profound France or the deep France. You've seen this with some of these uh, yellow vest protests over the last, say, year or so, year and a half, where there's a sense of the real France is people, you know, closer to the earth than rural France you know, living outside of Paris. And so I think at least spending some time outside Paris, you know, going into these smaller communities, whether it's in Provence, you know, another very heavily heavily touristed area, or Mm. just an hour south of France, say in the Dordogne or the Lot or something where, you know, people will still be, you know, it's still magnificent. There's still the castles and the cathedrals and the beautiful countryside that you want to see. But you know, people who are kind of living a simpler, slower life. Um, I think if you can at least get some of that when you come to visit, that gives you a sense of the quote unquote other France. Um, but the integration thing, I'm, I'm 51. And, you know, if I live hopefully another 40 years and live the rest of my life here, I will maybe start to come close to <laughs> feeling like I'm truly a part of it. But you know, and, and that's not to be negative. Like, we love it here. We're very happy here. But it's a very uh, long, long 
integration process. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Um, this was really, really helpful. And thanks for doing it last minute. And also, I'm glad that it was not my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Would my partner and I be happy dating in Paris? I feel like living in Paris would change my relationship at least a little. There'd suddenly be this huge pressure to have lavish, expensive, romantic experiences, at least with someone who loves <laughs> pageantry as much as Mal does. Uh, if you think that we're not immediately kissing at the top of the Eiffel Tower, you don't know them at all. So, I don't know. I don't really like the idea of buying a lot of romance. So maybe I got to figure that out first. I'm going to chat with Mal. Really put him on the spot. So let me bring them into the studio. <laughs> this is very formal. This is a formal interview. All right. Are we ready? Okay. Uh, so hello. We are here with my partner, Mal Blum. Hi. Hello. So, okay. Uh, this is our Valentine's Day episode. Uh, and we're talking about the city of love, Paris. How romantic. Um, exactly. That's what people think, right? So I've planned a hypothetical date night in Paris okay. that I want you to react to. You have not heard any of these plans. No. Or not um, a date night. I guess it's a date like day in tonight. Sure. You haven't planned one of those in the United States, but let's let's uh, <laughs> let's wow. go forward. Let's go to Paris. That is a sick burn. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. So I've been to Paris. I went there once before in 2012 where I had a, a mental breakdown. Mm. Um, so I would <laughs> – you ever go to Europe and have a breakdown and it's the plot of Francis Ha? Anyway. Yes, not Paris though. <laughs> so I decided to keep us in uh, Montmartre, Montmartre, which is uh, one of the arrondissements, which is like a neighborhood. I made sure everything was kind of in walking distance. Great. Okay. So you uh, love coffee. I do love coffee. You need it in the morning. You, yeah. You, that would have to be the first thing that we did when we woke up. Yeah. So I was bringing us to this coffee shop called Cassiope Coffee. Uh, and the coffee there is $6. American. Six American dollars. Mm -hmm. Pretty reasonable considering where we are. Okay. So then we can walk to the titular Montmartre, uh, which is free. And it's the Sacre... Core? Heart? Heart of heart? What is it? Sacred heart. Uh, it's like a beautiful church. It's like a big, um, and there's a view and you can see like all of the city of Paris. So maybe we could like get Aww. coffee and walk, you know, like walk there. That does sound romantic. It's nice, right? Yeah. Okay. So then I thought we could go to, uh, because it's Valentine's Day, I thought we could go to um, the Museum of Romance. Okay. Uh, and Ooh, la la. Yeah. And it's free to see the permanent collections. Also, the walk to, to Sacre Coeur, I'm saying it wrong. I'm so sorry, is free. And then it's also free to see the permanent collections. What's in the Museum of Romance? So there's art. There's memorabilia. There's like uh, old photographs and archives. Mm -hmm. um, there's different like acquisitions that they get. So there might be, depending on where, it might be a good collection. It could be a boring collection. It really depends on when we're there. But either way, it's like we're together. Yeah. Looking at art. Yeah. And it's supposed to be romantic. Yeah. It's um, so romantic. And then this would cost money to eat at their tea room. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm looking at this on my phone, and it is in French. Uh, but there's a bakery, and I don't know if you could see it, but look, there's like a little rose bakery, and you can sit outside. Can I take a, let me take a look at that. Yeah. 
Um, so that's like part of the Museum of Romance. So we could sure. go there and like go to their tea room for lunch. Oh, yeah. This looks very good. Look at those scones. Yeah. Wow. Um, then, so we're doing a lot of walking today. Yes. Are, can I ask a question? Sure. This might derail us. But what? Will we be holding hands? <laughs> <sighs> wow. Um, well, uh, yes. I would make a concerted effort to hold hands. Okay. Great. Okay, then you can get then we would get macaroons. Aw. Yeah, so we could get those They're and gonna... then kind of like walk around. Then it's like evening. Then um I want to go to like a a speakeasy bar. Ooh. So this speakeasy bar uh is called Le Tres Peculier. A hidden entrance, a passcode, a hidden bar, incredible cocktail menu. Mm. So we're going on like an adventure to a secret bar. Yeah, to secret bar. Where you will be buying me drinks? Yes, yes. I'm paying for all of this. Great. Love that. Um, <laughs> Love that for us. Yeah. And then, okay, here's where it gets expensive. Okay. So what if we had dinner at the Moulin Rouge? What? No. So basically, you can go to like a dinner show at the Moulin Rouge. Ooh. Uh, and you can do like different levels of it. Like some are VIP, some are like evening, different evenings have different stuff. It looks to be about like $230. A person or together? No, like a person. What do you get for that $230? A show. It, euros or dollars? I think I converted it to dollars. Okay, okay. $230. Um, but this is the only really expensive thing I put you on You get here. a show and that's it? And dinner. Uh, okay, so we're dining at the Moulin Rouge. I know. And I think actual Parisian people will be like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, which is probably true. Baby, if you're paying, I'm eating. Okay, so then that's it. And feel free to, we can switch the Moulin Rouge and the bar. You know what I mean? That's like, the end of the day. go... Yeah. That's it. We're oh. like, we ran out of money because of Moulin Rouge. No. And now we go well, home. okay. But here's the thing. Like, we could end up at the Eiffel Tower and, like, kiss in front of it. Aw. Which is very cute. Um, But I don't know. Is that, like, cheesy? No, I don't know. I mean, don't you have to if you've never been to Paris? I don't know. I've never been like, to Like, legally, you are required to kiss I in think front of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I think they require you to. Now, here's the second part of this Oh, there's a second part? Yeah, part two. Okay, okay, okay. Would you want to move to France with me, and and why or why not? Move? Like, for, we live there now. Ooh, for how long? However long. Well, ooh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I know you do. That's why I asked it. Ah. Ah. I, well, it depends. Okay, wait. If in this hypothetical situation, is it like you've gotten a job, and I don't have anything going on for like six months, and we move to Paris, something like that? Mal, I don't know. This is so neurotic. Uh, I need to know the situation. Is it like we're moving there indefinitely or yeah, is it like moving, for like three months? No, we're moving there. In, Trump is reelected and we are moving there indefinitely. I Okay. I don't know. Uh, here's my hesitation. I went to Europe last year for a tour mm -hmm. uh, and I was – I have not been to France ever. So mm -hmm. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll go to France. And, of course, my parents were like – you don't want to go to France. France is anti-Semitic or whatever. Wow. What um, an accurate uh, depiction of your father's voice. Obviously, when we're saying there's a rise in anti-Semitism, we're not saying that every single person that lives there is anti-Semitic. It's no, sort of yeah. more of a rise in like institutional anti-Semitism or right a rise in stuff. hate crimes. Yeah. Um, and what I'll say about that is that you could look at the U.S. right now and say the exact same thing. Exactly. Um, and, you know, you could – Poland – is there's a lot of institutional anti-Semitism. And, you know, I went there last year on tour and had a lovely time. Um, mm -hmm. So, but if it, if we're talking about living there, um, it might, you know, affect your daily life more. It depends. But it's something to consider for sure. Yeah. I mean, I it, it is, 
interesting to have this discussion about moving somewhere else and being like, well, there, there's this problem, there's this problem. And then it's like, have you looked at the U.S. lately? Yeah, we got tons of problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on our Valentine's Day episode. Wow, I can't believe, you know, it started so romantic and ended in anti-Semitism. Like so many of my relationships. Oh, my <laughs> God. Okay. That was very good. But I, I do want to say thank you. And if you do want to bring me to Paris for a romantic lover's jaunt, I, I will. I would never say anything critical about France while we're there. That's very sweet. And I'm sure France appreciates it. Yeah, I, I want to go to France. I've been trying to go to France. No, I'd love to go back because my, my family's from there. I would love. Right, May May. Yeah, May May. I would love to, to go back, um, not in the throes of a manic episode. <laughs> sure. Well, we can schedule a date. We can't, you know, you can't plan for those, unfortunately. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so maybe just visit Paris again, like see how we vibe as a couple there as both like gays and Jews. (laughs) Uh, Cool. But I think I can safely cross it off my list as a place I'd want to live. Even after everything I just learned, I can't pinpoint like one specific reason that made it sound like it could never be my new home. But I also didn't hear one that made me think that it could be my new home. I have family from there, you know, I I obviously would want to go back maybe with like a romantic partner instead of how I went in 2012, which was alone and sad. But, um, you know, it seems like kind of a special place because you don't live there. You visit and then your time in Paris is precious because it's limited. Um, And at the very least for me, it's not all the stuff you can do there that's romantic. It's the quality time. Plus, like I said, my love language is if you went and did my laundry. That would really be so much more meaningful to me than kissing on top of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Guys, I'm a romantic. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, just rate and review us right now and share this episode with the people you love or who you would love to go to France with. Spread the love. Happy Valentine's Day, babies. And make sure you're subscribed on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineer is Brendan Burns, and our audio is edited by Andy Christens, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen, and our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher and Cupid. I'm Gabby Dunn. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>